we just give you honor and praise. Lord, as we come to a moment in time where we hear a word, Lord, I just pray, God, you'll speak into our hearts and into our lives. God, that we would have the courage, God, to come into alignment to your will and to your way. And we pray, saints, in Christ's name. Amen. Would you give the band Hanford a great job? Well, good morning. It is great to see you all and those who are watching or listening online. We thank you for joining us today too. Hope you've had a great week and we are truly honored that you're starting your week off with us here at First Ruston. How many of you ever went to a military boot camp? Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard. We got a couple of hands going up. We have some. I, I never did, but I did talk to one of our members who was a Navy SEAL to verify I was on the right track. And I had two kids that were uh, in the military and a dad. And, and so here's the, when you think about boot camp, several things probably come to mind. One, it's mean people screaming at you from, from what I know, what you see in the movies too. Uh, their, their, their goal is to get you in really good physical shape, to get you in good mental shape. The, the bottom line is they're, they're teaching you how to shoot and how to kill because the military's main purpose is breaking things and killing people. I mean, that's what the military uh, exists for and is in the business of primarily. They're trying to teach you how to be a good teammate. They're trying to teach you how to, to obey because when you get in battle, you don't need to take a vote on whether we're going to do what they're telling us to do or not. You need to follow your leaders. But ultimately, boot camp is trying to get you ready for battle. It's trying to get you for re- ready for battle. And we're in a five-week sermon series starting today. We've titled it Boot Camp. And the thesis is that in, in every part of America, but in, in Ruston in particular, when, when school is out, the city, the businesses, everything kind of deflates for a couple of months, kind of goes a little, little uh, in, not dormant, but it's much slower. And then now school's starting back, fixed start back. So you got, you got kids, you got parents, you got everything. We're fixing to enter a new, a new era in August and September with our colleges and with our schools. And so we're going to try to get ready for it these next five weeks. And we're in Ephesians 6, and I want to begin this morning. It's going to sound kind of negative, but we're going to get to the positive eventually. You are in a life and death struggle. You may not realize that. You may not have identified it as that. But you and I are in a life and death struggle. So says the Bible, the Word of God. So says Jesus Christ. In verse 10 through 13... Ephesians 6, it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, a lot of times it's manifest in that way against people. But it's against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Now, he's talking about, and we're going to unpack this more in the next few minutes, he's talking about a battle going on 
in a world that we cannot see with our eyes. A lot of times the Bible, when it would talk about, or several times, when it would talk about heaven, it would mention three heavens. Paul talked about getting caught up in the third heaven, with the third heaven being where God is, and the second heaven being the stars, and, and the first heaven being in, in the, the air. And the Bible talks about what's going on in the air that we can't see with our, our eyes, our, our sense with our five senses, but that it's real. Now, now folks, here's the truth. You could find a preacher, you can find a church that, that's not going to believe in the devil, that's not going to believe in, in, in these things that we're talking about this morning, but that's like going to a doctor who doesn't believe in cancer or doesn't believe in, in, in COVID. I mean, you can find that. That's not who you want, right? So we're going we're gonna to try to stick with what the Bible says and, and stick the, with our understanding there. So the warfare that's going on, it's really between Jesus Christ, God, and the devil. The devil's a fallen angel. Next spring, we're going to do a sermon series called Angels and Demons. And we're going to talk about those things in particular. Two, these next two weeks, we're going to also. But there's a war going on. And you and I are one of three positions in this. We're a victim. We're a target. And we need to be a warrior in this battle that's going on. Look, in verse 12, listen to what he says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I hope you take notes. And the word struggle there, it, it can be translated wrestle, but it's not like, like TV wrestling, you know, and it's, you know it's violent, but it's fake. This is a hand-to-hand, listen, a hand-to-hand combat, face-to-face combat to the death. When he's talking about we're in a struggle, he's talking about a hand-to-hand combat face-to-face combat that's to the death. And you, and you may say this, well, I'm a peace activist. I'm a peace lover. Well, amen, that good. That peace is good, right? And, and I don't want to be a part of this battle. You don't have a choice. There was a man named Wilmer McLean. Most of you have never heard of this guy. We have a picture of Willie. He lived in Virginia in the 1850s and 60s, and he owned a piece of property at a strange place, on Bull Run Creek in Virginia. And in 1861, the Yankees and the rebels, north and the south, got together and the first battle of the Civil War happened on his property. And he tried to stop it and he was so distraught and so angry, he sold his farm and he moved to a place that he said the Civil War will never get to. We have a picture of his house that he moved to. It was an Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia. That was the name of the little community. And four years later, where he ran to get away from the war is where the Civil War ended in his living room. The generals got together, the armies got together, and that's where it ended. See, you can run, you can deny, you can ignore this battle, but it's real, and you're going to be a victim in it if you're not paying of it, if you're not paying close attention. So what do we do? What do we do? Again, I think I would stand true in what God says, number one. But here's the first thing. You got to know your opponents. You got to know who you're fighting. Frederick the Great was a great Prussian leader, And here's what he said about war. He said the first rule of war, the first rule of combat is to know who you're fighting, to know your opponent. The first rule is not to make sure your sword's sharp or that your your spear uh, is sharp. He said the first rule is to know who in the world you're engaging with. And that's, that's very smart. God tells us who we're engaging with. Look in verse 12. For our struggle, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Again, it manifests itself against flesh and blood a lot of times. And the devil uses people, no, no doubt about it, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, you notice he uses four different words to describe evil here. Rulers, 
authorities, powers, spiritual forces. Basically what this amounts to is this is the devil and his, his angels, his, his demons. Very quickly, before you and I were ever around, there was a war in heaven. Lucifer was an angel, rebelled against God, lost the battle, and the devil and a third of the angels of God who followed God sided with Satan and were cast down to earth. So that's who we're fighting against. The Bible does not give an org chart on angels and demons. We know there's two named angels in the Bible. Michael's the archangel, the head one. And, and there, there may be an organizational structure of Satan. I think it's probably a very organized and good system or terrible system that they have. But it's Satan and, and his demons. Look in verse 11. It's our struggle, put on the full armor of God, you can take your stand against the devil and his schemes. Again, you're taking notes, the the name devil, listen to what the devil's name means. It means adversary, slanderer, opponent, accuser, divider. Wow, that's a beautiful name, isn't it? Divider, slanderer, accuser, his schemes, his crafty methods. Now, here's what I have seen with people. We fall off the horse on one of two extremes. Some people ignore the devil. And and, and probably, honestly, I've not paid enough attention to this in my life and in my preaching. And I apologize to you for that. Now, I've never denied it or, or said it didn't exist. I hadn't been as attuned to it as I should be. Other people go the other extreme. You cough, <laughs> devil. They went to sleep in church this morning, devil. Well, amen, I agree with that last one. Now, again, is the devil motivating the, the bad stuff? Absolutely. Are we responsible for our behavior? Absolutely. The truth is in the middle that we are responsible, but man, it, it probably in most Baptist churches or most, a lot of evangelical churches, we have ignored these things or we've not addressed them near enough. Who do you think would understand Satan better than anybody else would be Jesus, right? When John 8, 44, listen to what he says about the devil. You belong to your father, the devil. Let me pause there and just say this. Friends, if you ever address a group of people and say that to them, you better be loaded and packing, right? Because that is a powerful thing to say to somebody. You belong to your father, the devil, but Jesus was right. You want to carry out your father's desires. Listen, he was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So our opponent, let's, let's talk about this, is a liar. What do you do with a liar? If you're the boss and your, your employee is a liar, they're a former employee, right? If you're dating, listen, young people are single people. If you're dating a liar, what do you do with them? You break up with them. You run with them. If you're married to a liar, you get in counseling tomorrow for the rest of your life. If you work for a liar, you find another place to work. What do you do if the liar moves next door? And you like your house and you can't afford to move anyway. And your, your neighbor's just a liar. Everybody knows they're a liar. What do you do? Well, You don't do business with them, correct? You don't sign papers with them. If your kids are playing over the liars, kids, you have to be careful, don't you? You don't know what's going to happen. You're cautious with someone who's a liar. The devil's a liar. Our opponent's a liar. What about a murderer? Not not somebody that there's an accidental death, but someone that just willfully, harmfully murdered somebody, spent years in prison, and they got out. They're not repentant. They're, They're suspects in other murders, Maybe they even plea bargained and and plead to one when they were guilty of four or five more. And now they live not next door, but across the street from you. 
and you can't move, what do you do? That's tough, isn't it? That's tough. Your kid comes home one day and says, hey, I want to spend the night with the murderer's kids tonight. No, no, no. The murderer's kids can stay with us. You don't let your kids stay with the murderer. Amen? The murderer does something to mess up your yard. You're not mad at all, are you? You're just okay with that. That's fine. Thank you. I appreciate you tearing up my yard. Tear it up anytime you want to. Because if you know someone would willfully kill people with no remorse at all, you need to be very, very careful. He's a slanderer. Don't you enjoy when people destroy your person, your, your reputation and your character by their words? Don't you like that? Somebody just tears you apart. That's who our opponent is. Jesus said he's a murderer. He's a slanderer. He's an adversary. Let me drive this point home. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your family. If you're not, not a Christian, he wants to keep you from God. If you are a Christian, he wants you to get away from God. He wants you to turn from God. He wants you to commit suicide. He wants to destroy this church. The devil is our adversary, and he's a real, very good, terrible opponent. Let me just share with you some stuff going on in America in, in, just in the last few months. This, these stats came out in May. They looked at New York City, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., L.A., Chicago, and Baltimore. And all those major cities, violent crimes, murders, rapes, assaults. The lowest number in one or two of these cities was up 5%. Some of them were up to 40% increase in the last year. Now, folks, there's a lot of variables to that, but I want to tell you the devil is behind that. There's no doubt about that. We were in... Texas on May the 24th, eating dinner at a restaurant. Someone asked me, you know where Uvalde, Texas is? I said, I sure do. They said, well, did you know a guy, last name Ramos, went into a Rob Elementary School and killed 21 people? 19 were kids? Psychotic? Absolutely. Mentally ill? Certainly. Motivated and prompted by Satan? No question in my mind about that at all. I read this this week. A mother posted this. Her name was Meredy Leeper. Her seven-year-old daughter, moms and dads, listen to this, was on Kids YouTube, which is, by the way, is on my phone that my granddaughter Bailey downloaded on my phone. Kids YouTube or YouTube Kid, whatever it is. And Meredy found out that her seven-year-old daughter had been instructed how to kill herself on this kid's site. With comments, nobody loves you, you're worthless, you need to go ahead and kill yourself. You can say or think what you want, but I'm going to tell you, that's demonic. That's evil. In Washington, D.C., a few weeks ago, a United States senator got into it with a University of California Berkeley professor. Here's what they got into it about. The, the senator had the gall to say, only biological women can get pregnant. And the professor went berserk. When you tell me a man cannot get pregnant, you're triggering me. You're being mean to me. You're going to bring harm on people. You do not have a right to tell me that only biological women can get pregnant. Folks, now listen. I believe the Constitution and the Lord Jesus Christ has given us the freedom of speech. I, I believe that. And if you want to say men can get pregnant, I believe you have the right to say that. I, ha I believe that only women can get pregnant. And I think I can back that up scientifically that that's true. 
But when that professor stated that I don't have the right to say only women can get pregnant by saying that, that's bad, and they want to limit my ability to say that, folks, that's evil. That's evil. Kent Hughes is a pastor. This is a quote worth remembering. He said, Satan has no conscience, no compassion, no remorse. He feeds on pain and anguish and filth, and I would throw this in division. He is a divider of people, divider of churches, divider of teams, divider of families. That's our opponent. That's our opponent. How do we defeat this guy? Well, here's the first thing. You can't win this fight in your own power. You can't. In verse 10, he says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's God's power that's going to win this battle, not your power, not my power. You you and I are not going to defeat Satan on our own. And if you think you can, good luck. You'll wait a second. No, wait, wait, wait. I, I got money. That really backs Satan down. I'm powerful. People in Ruston and Lincoln Parish pay attention to me. Good for you. You think that intimidates Satan? Remember, Satan's a fallen angel. He's not near as powerful as God, but he's a lot more powerful than you and me. And the greatest thing Satan can get you to think or, or to buy into is that he doesn't exist. Or that what I'm saying is kind of fairy tale, silly redneck preaching stuff instead of the Bible. You can't defeat him on your own. You know who Mike Tyson is? Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, in his prime, at least in my lifetime, is the greatest boxer, heavyweight boxer ever. I mean, guy was brutal. And I really think he's become a good guy in, in later years. And he's been on some movies. and been funny. Did y'all see a video? Mike Tyson was on an airplane. And some insane guy picked a fight with him. Was standing behind him and popping him and smiling. And finally, Tyson rightly got up and popped the guy. I hope for that guy's sake that he was either very drunk or very high. That's the only way you can explain that you would start a fight with Mike Tyson, right? Because nobody I know is going to be able to beat up Mike Tyson on their own. And you and I are not going to be able to defeat Satan on our own. Here's the great news. You don't have to. You do not have to. You can win this battle in Jesus. You can win this battle in Jesus. We win this battle not on our own, not in our own power. We win this fight in Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 4 is a great verse. You ought to memorize at least the last part of it. The last part of it, I'll read that. It says, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Folks, man, this is so important. God is more powerful than Satan, way more powerful than Satan. If you'll become a Christian this morning, or if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he's telling you, God's saying, Satan is powerful. You can't defeat him, but God can. And if God lives in you, you can win these battles. And you've got to win these battles for your life, for your marriage, for your family. You have to. But you can't, how many of you, if you were going into a really big struggle and you had the, you up front, you were told you can win if you'll do the right things. Wouldn't that be comforting? I mean, that brings peace. You're going to win the game if you'll just do the right things. You're going to win it. That's what God's saying here. You can win this in Jesus. So how do we do it? Let me give you a simple, going to sound silly, but I'll explain it to you. You just pour Jesus all over you and your world. Man. Pour Jesus all over you and your world. 
In verse 10, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He's telling us two things here, I think. One is we've got to do our part and God will do his part. We do all that's humanly possible and God will do the impossible. It's not my strength, it's not my power. It's God's mighty power, his mighty strength. I'm strengthened in him. Look in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If you'll come back next week, we're going to look in detail at the armor of God and what he says about that. But here's a, here's a, a short synopsis of this. When you pour Jesus all over you, you're putting the armor on. And when you put the armor on, you're pouring Jesus all over you. The armor's not something separate you do apart from your relationship with Christ, you know. Or I, you, when you, you need all the armor, and when you're pouring Jesus on your life, you're putting the armor on. And when you're putting the armor on rightly, you're pouring Jesus on your life. How do you pour Jesus on your life and on your family and on your world? How do you do it? Man, number one, you got to give your life to Christ if you're not a Christian. That's the foundation. And then as a Christian, you have to be as close to God as you can be. Listen, some of us this morning, we are in peril. We're putting our family in peril because we're not near as close to Jesus as we need to be. When the violence starts, don't you want to be close to the biggest guns and the biggest people, right? When I was growing up, one of my best friends was a guy named Carl. Still is a very, very, very close friend. And Carl was the toughest guy in our high school. He was the toughest guy in our part of town. And I can tell you, when trouble started, I wanted to be near Carl. I didn't want to be near some of my friends that I really liked and who weren't very tough. I wanted to be near the source of the power. The closer you are to God, the more ready you're going to be for the battle. Christian, repentance. Getting rid of stuff that doesn't need to be in your life. Praying. Listen, Man, prayer needs to be a driving force of your life. The, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, obeying the Bible, being in church. Folks, we're compromising this in our society today. Christians are. We, we're, we're losing some kind of idea that this matters. And, 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 and Jesus thought being in church, the Bible thinks being here is super important. I want to show you something I saw on Facebook Jessica DeBose, I think I saw you post this. It's a, a great picture. It shows a bunch of zebras all together. That's the church. And then there's the Christian. I don't need to be in church. And there's Satan fixing to rip them apart. The Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion. You need church. You need the singing. You need the fellowship. You need the community. It, it's fine to listen to 84 different sermons during the week. I'd spend more time reading my Bible and praying if I was you. But the problem, if you're like me, when you're listening to other sermons, you're listening to what you want to hear, right? I'm not going to go listen to some sermon if somebody I don't like is going to tell me something I don't want to hear. But when you go to a local church, you know what? You're going to hear things sometimes you didn't intend to hear or maybe didn't want to hear. Sometimes you need the boot of a local pastor upside your head, Right? And by the way, when you're in the hospital, the guy in Canada is not going to come see you, right? You need a church. That's, that's part of putting the armor on. Look in verse, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, you stand. You're putting on the armor. You're pouring Jesus on you. This is your part. I'm going to let God do the impossible. I'm going to do the possible. I'm pouring God on me. 
This is an ongoing thing. It's not something you do this morning and then you don't ever do again. It's something you do today, you do tomorrow, you do the next day because the battle's coming for you every day. What's the day of evil? Some people say, well, maybe that's the end of times. I, I don't really think so because these people died 2,000 years ago and the end of times have not happened yet. I think he's talking about maybe that next temptation you're going to face, that next battle you're going to face. It may come up tomorrow. It may, may come up in two weeks where you need to be dressed and ready for it. Or maybe it's just that day-to-day -day temptation and struggles that we all have that we need to be ready for it when it comes. You know what he says? He says, I want you to stand Put on the armor and stand. It's the picture of a military unit that's being attacked. And when the battle's over, they hadn't lost ground. They're standing where they were and they're taking new ground. It's a picture of a street fight. Let's just say Paul Nelson and Russ Golden get into a fight and Paul beats up Russ. And when the fight's over, Paul is standing over him victorious. God says, I want when the fight's over, I want you standing up. And you can stand up when you fight the devil, not by your own power, but by God's power. Man, that's good news. You can win the battle. You can win the struggle. It's coming. It's coming day in and day out. Your part is to pour Jesus on you, to stand your ground, and let God supernaturally help you win the stinking fight that's coming for you. And you can. I'm reading a book right now by two guys. The title of the book is, is, is kind of interesting title, Evangelism Is. And it's written by one guy I knew I went to seminary with. His name's David Wheeler. He's um, uh, been a pastor. He is a professor at Liberty Seminary. It's, the other guy's a guy named Dave Early. Both of them have doctor's degrees. They've been pastors. They teach at graduate schools. So they're not, they're not, uneducated guys that are looking for silly stuff. And not, I mean, you can be educated and look for silly stuff. I'm just saying, these guys have some, some good reputations. And Dave Early tells a story. When he was a young pastor, he woke up on a Tuesday morning, and, and I'll bring the book, I'll let you read it. And again, I don't think these guys are making stories up. He had 20 boils on his body. And he went to his doctor. His doctor's a devout Christian. They walked through the scenario of what could cause these boils. And, and Dave Early had done nothing that should have brought these things on him. And so the doctor looked at him and said, what are you preaching on Sunday morning? He said, well, I'm preaching on Satan and his demons. He said, bingo. You ever heard of Job? <laughs> you hadn't heard about Job, read the 42 chapters of Job sometime in the Bible. He said, Dave, I think this is an attack of Satan on you. It's what I think it is. He said, you need to go home and you need to pray really hard and get people you know praying for you. By the way, if, if, if these bulls are here Friday morning, we're going to get a razor out and lance them. Dave said, when the doctor tells you they're going to lance parts of your body with a razor, you pray very hard. <laughs> he said, I went home and I called my closest friends and people in my church and I, I said, man, please pray for me. He went back to the doctor on Friday. There was not a boil on his body. And then Dave Early said something that struck him that I wish would have struck me 30 years ago or 35 years ago that I haven't been as attuned into as I should have. He said, then it dawned on me why every Saturday night, me and my preacher friends have a hard time sleeping. The phone rings at midnight and it's, it's, it's a wrong number. The wife's mean and the kids are bad. 
And then I got to go to church on Sunday morning and preach. And I'm tired and exhausted and frustrated. Of course, my wife is always wonderful on Saturday night. My kids weren't always. My dogs even act bad sometimes. They did this morning. And I have a hard time sleeping. And I think I'm convinced now part of that's the devil. Because most preachers are excited on Sunday mornings for Sunday mornings. Then I hear people like you who are honest will tell me, you know, it's the weirdest thing. Sunday morning we get up and the kids are bad. The kids are fighting. My wife and I get in arguments. The kids don't want to get ready. It's difficult. Nobody wants to eat their breakfast. We fight all the way to church. And then we get out of church and we have to go, hey, it's so good to see you. We love Jesus and we're so happy to be in his church. How many of you, have, you know somebody that's true of? It's not you. Not you, right? You know somebody's true. You know what that is? Man, that's the devil. And I'm not trying to see a devil behind every Pop-Tart. I'm just telling you, the devil's working to make our experiences bad. And when he knows you're coming to church and you're going to have an encounter with God, he's not happy. But dadgummit, we can win the battles, can't we? We can win them in Jesus. So if you're, you're not a Christian today, man, when we, we stand in a moment, come and give your life to Christ. We'll talk to you after church. Or you stay with us if you're watching online or, or even here in a moment, I'm gonna pray and I will, I will lead you in a prayer to give your life to Christ if you're ready to do that today. Maybe you'd like to join our church. You can do that online. You can do that after church. Maybe you wanna come right now and join our church. Listen, you need a church family. You need a group of people who will love you, pray for you, and be there for you. Join us today. You're a Christian today. I want to ask you, how close are you to Christ? Maybe where you're standing or on your knees at home or at the altar, praying with the minister, it's time to come back to Christ. You put yourself and your family in more danger the farther you are from Christ. Maybe you're just struggling with something and you need prayer. You want us to pray with you or pray for you. You come. Man, we need to do our part and now is our time to do our part. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you. standing Christian man just ask God to help you help you to be aware day in and day out every morning when you wake up what that you're in a battle but man with God you can win it you just got to put yourself in the right position if you're not a Christian or you're unsure but you're ready today to give your life to Christ pray with me sincerely and just say Jesus I'm a sinner and I want to repent of my sins 
And Jesus, I accept that you're the Son of God who died for me and arose for me. Come into my heart this morning. And I give my life to you, Jesus.